All right. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. It can be found on page 1120 in uh, your few Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. It's, uh, it's a part of the, the book where things take a, a turn uh, from kind of the bad news to the good news. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. The ways that you have revealed yourself in creation, the ways that you've revealed yourself in your word. And most clearly, the ways you've revealed yourself in Jesus. So Lord, we pray that this morning, as uh, we hear your word read and proclaimed, uh, that by your word and by your spirit, you would help us to see you more clearly, to understand who you are, what this means for us and for this world. That you would continue the work that you have begun in us as you continue to uh, form us, form in us character of Jesus himself. That we would be those who reflect you more clearly in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. Turning then to Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, which is the whole of the chapter. If you are unfamiliar with the, <laughs> the letter that is Revelation, uh, it has some strange images and uh, dreamlike sequences, and so you can hear about a lion and then turn and see a lamb, that sort of thing. Um, this is what we're going to hear about <laughs> today. If you are not familiar with this book, we will be going through it in more detail this summer on Wednesday nights. So, uh, but for now, Revelation 5, 1 through 14. John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy 
to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven, or, seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, So this morning, we are reading in the gospel known as John, and we are reading about John the Baptist. So there may be some confusion (laughs) uh, when we're talking about these Johns, and maybe you know more than one person named John and have had similar confusion in your life. I know that when I was first in college, there were two people named Matt Lambert, and thanks to that, I met my wife. But anyway, that's a story for another day. (laughs) But ask me sometime. I love to tell the story. Um, But it's all because of a name confusion. So I will try as best as I can to make it clear which John I'm talking about (laughs) each time. But if I just say John at some point, um, yeah. Try to, try to figure it out, try to follow along with which John I'm talking about. Okay. We are looking at John uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. And one of the things that we have been talking about is the reason that we are reading this particular uh, letter or this particular book. This is what John himself tells us, John, the one who wrote the book. Um, he says in John chapter 20, He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he's written this. That's why we're reading this together. And I did encourage everyone this past week uh, to go ahead and read the entire book in one sitting. And so for those of you who were here last week and you heard that challenge, you took me up on that, and you actually uh, read through it in uh, one sitting, I would be very interested to hear uh, how that went for you, what that experience was like, uh, especially if that's something you'd not done before. Anyway, so not right now, but, you know, at some point, let me know. And then uh, if you have not done that yet, whether you heard it last week and 
just forgot, or if you weren't here last week and are hearing it now for the first time, let me challenge you to do this, to find some time, an uh, hour, hour and a half, sit down and read through the whole book of John, uh, that you would see how it is that one of John's best and closest friends who walked with him for three years, uh, how he presents not only who Jesus is and the things that he did, but what it means. This is what he told us, we looked at this last week, how he tells us that uh, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And so after the resurrection, after Pentecost, when John receives the Holy Spirit in his life, that's one of the things that's happening is that he is going back over and over as the Holy Spirit brings to mind the things that Jesus said and did, and not only what he did and said, but what it means. And so as we go through John, you get what he said and did, but you also get what it means. Anyway, so that's why we're looking at this, that we would see uh, that who Jesus is, that we would have life in him. Uh, Where we are this morning is the way that he begins the whole book is with this magnificent poem about uh, Jesus being the one who was with God from the beginning and who is God himself, the word made flesh. So fully God, fully human. That was the poem we looked at last week. And now he begins uh, kind of the, the narrative part, the part where he's just telling the story. Here's what happened in sequence. And he doesn't begin so much with Jesus, but he begins with John the Baptist. And so uh, there's some identity confusion with John the Baptist as well, not just because of the name John, <laughs> but there's some confusion of identity because he kind of seems like he might be somebody else because of what he's saying and doing and where he is and all of that. And so uh, verse 19 says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and I testify, that this is God's chosen one. All right. So where was the initial confusion? We've got John. He's out at the Jordan River. He's in the wilderness. Um, outside of the city, and he is uh, baptizing people. And if you read, John doesn't tell us here what John the Baptist is uh, dressed in, but you find other places what he's dressed in. And uh, it's camel's hair, leather belt, that sort of thing. And you go, well, that's odd dress 
Nobody else is dressing like that. But it's familiar dress. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, that's kind of how Elijah dressed. And so there's a bit of confusion because uh, you've got this guy who's outside of the system, as it were. He's outside of the system, and he is drawing a crowd, and he's doing religious things, and he's kind of dressed in this uh, religious prophet way. And so the people who are within the system, who are in Jerusalem, are like, we need to see what's going on here, right? And there's a lot of uh, talk throughout the whole New Testament of you got to watch out for false teachers. That is a, that's a real thing. You need to watch out for false teachers. Jesus says that. Paul says that. We get that a lot, uh, watching out for false teachers. And that's what these guys presumably are doing. We need to go and see who this guy is. Maybe, maybe this is for real. Maybe he is one of the people that we are supposed to be expecting because what he's doing, if he's baptizing people, then that is actually something that maybe is supposed to happen at the end. So maybe this is one of those things that is kicking off the end when the Lord will return. And so uh, the day of the Lord, as it were. And so they send some people out there and they say, all right, tell us. You know, are you, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Is that what's going on here? Are you the one? And John says, nope. All right, we'll try again. Uh, how about Elijah? Nope. <laughs> looks like that. How about the prophet? Nope. And these are all people. These are good guesses, by the way. It's not that these guys are just like wildly picking names out of, at random. But these are guesses that they are guessing because of uh, what the Old Testament has said about what was to come. Now, obviously, the Messiah, you're supposed to be expecting the Messiah to come. But also, uh, there is, you know, Elijah had been prophesied that someone would come uh, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Elijah would come first kind of thing. And so they're like, okay, if you're not the Messiah, maybe you're Elijah. And he says, no, I'm not. Now, those of you who know your Bible well, go, wait a second. Doesn't Jesus say that John the Baptist was Elijah? Yes, he does. (laughs) Does that mean that one of them got it wrong? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Uh, That John the Baptist was not Elijah who has been uh, resurrected somehow but that he has come in the role of Elijah. He has come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he is uh, doing exactly what it was that Elijah was to come and do. And so in that way, John sa- or Jesus says, for those who are willing to receive it, John the Baptist, yeah, that was Elijah who was to come. <laughs> but John the Baptist is like, no, I'm, I'm a different guy, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the Messiah. And I say, okay, well then what about the prophet to come? And this goes back to... Uh, to Moses, who says that there's going to be a prophet greater than me who's going to come. Now, that also is not John the Baptist. That's actually Jesus, who is the one who, in so many ways, uh, you see these overlaps between what it is that Moses did and what it is that Jesus does and how he does it. And so all these things that Moses is doing is kind of pointing toward who Jesus is and what he does. And so, um, <clears throat> so we see that in Jesus. But I think it's important that we note right up front that when these guys come and they're asking John the Baptist, are you these people? These are good guesses. But it is clarifying right up front that John the Baptist is not those folks. And so then, it, uh, so he says, this is not who I am. So then they have the opportunity, well, then who are you? 
What do you say about yourself? Who are you? And the answer he gives, and the voice of one calling in the desert makes straight the paths for the Lord. Actually, he says, um, and the voice of one calling in the wilderness makes straight the way for the Lord. Now this, this is his answer. Fantastic. This quotes the Old Testament. This is straight from Isaiah. This is who I am. I'm the one who's doing that. Well, what does that even mean? The voice of one calling in the wilderness makes straight the way for the Lord. What is that about? Well, the idea is you've got the wilderness and then you have like the kingdom itself, right? And so if the, in the wilderness, you're outside the kingdom, but then you go into the kingdom from the wilderness. And this ought to call to mind a lot of things all throughout the Old Testament, whether you're looking in Genesis itself, uh, page one of the Bible, when God creates the whole world, and you have uh, everything, you know, in verses, verse two, I think it is, where uh, everything is empty, or formless and empty, I think is how it says it in NIV. Uh, another way I've heard that translated is wild and waste, which is actually really good translation. Everything is wild and waste. God creates the whole world, but it's all wild and waste. It's uninhabitable, formless, and empty. But then he takes this, and over the course of the uh, six days of creation, he forms it, he fills it, and he turns it into a beautiful, livable kingdom, for lack of a better word. You skip forward, and you see the same thing happening again and again with people going from the wilderness into the kingdom. And so after uh, they, after the Israelites get out of slavery in Egypt, and they go, and we looked at this during Lent, part of the time where they're 40 years in the wilderness, but then they get to go in and establish the kingdom in the land that God had promised their ancestors. Skip forward farther, and after they get thrown out of the land, they're in exile, and they're in Babylon, and that's what Isaiah is talking about, is saying, this is what's coming. And you're going to be in exile, but that won't last forever, and you will come back. And so prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to be uh, bringing the people into the, into the land where they're supposed to be. And so this is the idea, and this is the image that you have, is if the king is coming back, and the king is coming to his people and to his kingdom, this would be a good thing. Anybody familiar with Robin Hood and the story? Somebody should be familiar with Robin Hood. <laughs> uh, in Robin Hood, you've got, you've got uh, what is it, Prince John that's there. But you've got King Richard who's gone. And what's happening in the whole time of uh, Prince John, this is why Robin Hood was such a thing, is because Prince John was not doing well <laughs> uh, overseeing the whole area. And so uh, things were kind of a mess. And so the idea is, if you hear King Richard's coming back, you should be excited about that, because he's the one who's going to make everything right. You, you just clicking it all? Okay. Either way. Uh, this is the idea, that if the king is coming, he's going to be the one who puts everything right. And so when everything is kind of out of order, he's going to make it right again. And so this is the idea, this voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, remove all the obstacles, anything in his way. We don't want anything to delay him from getting here as quickly as possible to make it all right again. Now, is John the Baptist talking in physical terms? Yeah. Does he mean it in physical ways? 
are we supposed to go out now and start working on road repair, filling in potholes, making sure that all the debris is cleared out of the streets so that Jesus can come? No, I mean, those are good things to do, but that's not what he's talking about. What is he talking about? Well, he doesn't really explain it in detail in detail here, but if you go uh, like to Luke, he does give us a bit more detail where it says uh, people are asking him, okay, well, then what should we do? How do we do this? How do you prepare the way for the Lord? This is chapter, Luke chapter 3, starting verse 11. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. There's no road repair in any of this. <laughs> so what's he talking about? It's easy to say he's talking about heart repair, right? And that's what he's talking about. Clear the obstacles in our hearts so that Jesus can come into our hearts. That'd be the easy way to look at this. I'm not sure that's what he's saying. I think he's saying something, I think that's included in it, but I think it's more significant than that. I think this is a relational repair. That this is preparing the way for the Lord in a deeper and more meaningful sense than just in my own heart. We talked about this at FCA earlier this week, uh, but since most of you weren't at FCA, (laughs) uh, I'll tell you the same, and that is that all of us, whether we want to or not, whether we mean to or not, we are all reflectors of who God is and what he's like. And so we are all being interpreted that way by everyone at all times. In other words, what I mean is, when you are doing or saying anything, there are people who are learning from you what God is like. And that's not always a good thing. And so you end up having people believing wrong things about God because of the way they've been treated by other people. Have you experienced this? Where someone has treated you in a way that says you don't matter, and therefore you believe that God thinks you don't matter. This kind of idea. This is what John is talking about, John the Baptist is talking about when he says, um, to treat people this way. He said, if you are treating people as though they are less than human, how in the world are they going to be ready to hear about a God who loves them and cares about them? They're not. And so when he says, prepare the way for the Lord, I think this is what he's talking about. That we should be clearing out any of the things that are obstacles in the way of our relationships with other people that the ways that we are treating people, the ways that we are doing things in uh, our everyday lives are keeping the way clear for people to understand who God really is and what he's really like. I think this is why Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you're, He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. You see the priority he puts on that? 
says, having things worked out with your brother or sister, having right relationships with each other actually takes precedent over coming and offering a gift at the altar. Is that crazy? I mean, Jesus says a lot of things <laughs> that strike us odd at first, but I think he knows what he's talking about. That's the whole idea. He knows what he's talking about much better than we do. And this is, I think, tied in with all of this, that we cannot um, be treating people badly and still have a right relationship with God. We see that in other uh, places in the New Testament as well. First John talks about that quite a bit. Uh, James. Anyway, so this is what John the Baptist said his role is, is he's the one calling people to this, to calling people to prepare the way for the Lord. That as the king comes into uh, our hearts, that is uh, the same for uh, those around us as well. And this is what he says he's doing. So he says, that's not who I am. I'm not those guys. Here's who I am. I'm this guy. I'm calling people to do this. And they ask him about the baptism. Now, why does Jesus say that, he, or why, why does John the Baptist say that he's baptizing people? It's verse 31. He says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He might be revealed to Israel. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the one who he points out and says, uh, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I like to quiz people on that one, actually, where you just leave the blank and you say, you know, the quote is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the blank of the world. What is that word? And most of the time I get sins. Because most people are familiar with it. That's how it sounds, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say sins, it says sin. Six of one, half a dozen the other, right? On the other hand, <laughs> I think what he's saying is actually deeper than just sins. And that does say that in other places. So it's not that it's wrong, but I think what he's saying is deeper than that. That there's a difference between um, the, the illness and the symptoms, if you know what I mean. And so that the sins themselves would be the symptoms of a much deeper illness that we have, which is sin itself. And it says that, it's that deeper brokenness within us, that is what he takes away. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Anyway, I think it's important, though, that though this is what John is about, this is what he's testifying about, this is the reason why he's baptizing, is to reveal this guy, <laughs> the one who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. But this, does John know who he is when he goes out baptizing? He does not. And I think that's important, too. Because the whole reason he goes out baptizing is to show people who Jesus is, and he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Isn't that crazy? Do you know what this means? This means you can begin obeying God with what you do know without having all the answers yet. Diane and I have talked for years uh, and have this sort of running uh, kind of joke, but we're serious, which we'll, one of us will say, you know, yeah, but what do we do about this? You know, something far down the road. And, I don't know. What do you mean you don't? Well, I don't know. <laughs> God has us on a need-to-know basis. I guess we don't need to know. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's what we say. And, but I think that's what John was living right here, John the Baptist, living this, where he says, I'm, okay, let me get this straight. I'm supposed to go out and start baptizing people. Yes, yes, you are. So that people will know who the Messiah is. Yes. So who is the Messiah? Oh, not yet. <laughs> now go start baptizing. Okay. <laughs> and off he goes. But I think that's good for us to hear, that you don't have to have all the answers about everything to start doing the things that you've been given to do <laughs> and do those. And so that's what he is doing. But what he had been told is, and we see this at the end of that section, uh, that he had been told that the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is what he saw when Jesus comes to be baptized. The Spirit comes down on him and remains on him. And so he says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. We talked about show and tell earlier. This is what John the Baptist was about, right? Showing and telling. He's doing things. The whole baptism side of things, that's the repentance, the turning around, getting things right between yourself and others, between yourself and God, getting things right. This is the thing that he's showing by action. But he's also testifying by words. He's showing and he's telling. A lot of times people hear the, uh, the quote, uh, St. Francis of Assisi has been quoted as saying, uh, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You heard this? Heard that. I liked that a lot um, years ago, and so I decided to do a research paper on that particular saying of St. Francis, and so I went back and I researched everything, read through all the original documents around that time period, and everything that he said and did, and he said some pretty neat things. He did some pretty neat things. He never said this, <laughs> which made for a very different paper than I was anticipating. But, but of course he didn't say this. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. As though, and what, it, what it's taken to mean, and uh, it sounds like, is that you can preach the good news of Jesus without ever saying a word. What it means is, you know, just make sure that in your words and your actions that you are using, that you're clearing the way, right? That you're letting people know by what you do, uh, who it is that you serve, etc., and so there's a good thing about that. The, the bad part about it, and the reason he didn't say this, is people take this as a way to say, you never need to say anything about Jesus. You just don't need to talk about that. Just be nice to people. Just be nice to people, and that's it, you know? And they'll figure it out, right? And so there are other people talking about that. You just, you just be nice. That's not it. And what we see over and over again is show and tell, show and tell. You can't tell people about Jesus and then treat them like a jerk. (laughs) That doesn't work. But neither can you just be super nice to people and never tell them about Jesus. It's show and tell. These go hand in hand. And this is what we see John the Baptist doing. And so uh, when they're asking him who he is and who he's not and all that kind of thing, he's just the one who's there to show and tell. We saw in Luke, we were looking Christmas time, about the birth stories of Jesus, and we see the Holy Spirit coming in uh, to various people's lives, and every time we see the same pattern. When the Holy Spirit comes into life, what do they end up doing? Pointing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. We saw that from John the Baptist when he was in the womb, before he's even born, 
he receives the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. And then Mary shows up. And while he's still in his mom's womb, he's jumping and getting her attention. Here comes Jesus. <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? But this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. And it's what it's doing in John the Baptist's life. And it's what the Holy Spirit will do in our lives as well. But I think we need to know that the way that that happens is through showing by our actions and telling with our words. Um, that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the words that comes through several times throughout this section, but throughout the book of John, is this word testimony or testify. And if you've ever been uh, a witness in court, at least the way that I've seen them do this on TV, is they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? That's what it means to be a witness. That's what it means to testify to what it is that you have seen and heard. And so that's what we see with John the Baptist that we see him doing. That is what we are called to do as well. And so I would encourage you first to think about those people. I do this a lot, (laughs) to think about the people that you have learned from, where you have seen what Jesus is like by the way that they have lived and the way that they have acted and what they have said. That wasn't a word the people that you have uh, heard from who have taught you about who Jesus is and what he was about and what that means for you and what it means for the world. Think about those people, but then understand this doesn't end with us, but that we are now to be those people who are showing and telling about Jesus to the world. And so as we go from here, my prayer is that we would be those by everything that we're saying, everything that we're doing, would be those who are telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about Jesus. So help us, God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.